This podcast was created as a part of Podcast Lab by India Film Project in association with Anchor by Spotify. Justice is Blind was a cliche line that we grew up on watching Indian movies. But can a superhero be blind and still protect his hood? Imagine that a blind person is a hero by day defending the wrongly accused by arguing on their behalf in the court of law and a superhero by night bashing goons, drug lords and other villains foiling their plans. How cool is that as a thought? But you must be asking yourself, is this superhero a mutant like X-Men? Or has got superhero serum artificially induced like Captain America or Hulk? Or has shitload of wealth and gadgets like Batman or Iron Man? Or accidentally got superpowers through some incident like Spider-Man? Well, he has none of that. He just has heightened senses and a strong moral sensibility to help people. After all, isn't that all you need to be a superhero? Today, we will do a detailed breakdown of the pilot episode of one of my favorite superhero shows ever produced. It is real, gritty, dark, violent, and certainly brings a bloody refreshing treatment different from all other offerings from the Marvel comic universe. This week, we are talking about Marvel's Daredevil. This is Abhishek, your host for Binge Beyond the Box, Binge Beyond the Box, where we analyze, explore, and entertain you about the whys, hows, and what I didn't know that of the creative content we consume regularly, popular and offbeat TV shows, movies, short films, and advertisements. The pre-titled sequence of Daredevil's pilot has an interesting approach. It is divided into two parts, quite like how the first Christopher Nolan's Batman begins. See what I did there? First, with a flashback. A concerned dad haplessly rushes towards a crowd assembled around an accident scene, only to find his son lying on the road, badly hurt. On one hand, things start getting clearer to the audience. There was an explosion, radioactive material spilled over, and on the other hand, the world blurs out for Matt Murdock, the kid on the ground, moments after he became a hero by pushing a full-grown man to save his life. The man yells to Matt's dad from a distance, Your boy, he pushed me out of the way. He saved my life. A hero for sure. But with just good intent to help people, can this kid become a superhero? We will see. The scene cuts to Matt, a grown-up. A Catholic who visits the church for a confession, wherein he talks about his dad being a fighter who lost a few but never got knocked out in a fight. And how his grandma always thought that the Murdoch boys have got devil in them. How he had started relating to the deadly devilish rage that possessed his dad. You may have heard about asking for forgiveness after committing a felony, but Matt is different. As the father starts getting a feel that Matt may have committed a sin, Matt says, Father, I am not here to seek penance for what I have done. 
I am asking for forgiveness for what I am about to do. Matt was actually about to beat up a bunch of human traffickers and ensure safe passage for the victims. He did not state that explicitly, but the father got a whiff of it and said, that is not how this works. But that is what is symbolic about this show. Marvel's Daredevil breaks the mold and does not care about fitting to the formula of a superhero movie or a show. The character, this show is a class apart from whatever Marvel or maybe the entire comics industry has produced till date. Now, talking about being a class apart, Daredevil's opening credit was pure brilliance. So much so that it got nominated for an Emmy in 2015 for outstanding main title design. What made it so special? Well, it told a story which honestly uh, deserves a separate podcast episode. You know what? We will publish a separate episode on the opening credits, other quirks about this show and what makes this show so special. Till then, let us focus on the characters and the story arc of this pilot episode. We get to know Foggy, who kind of plays the same role in Matt Murdock's life as Dr. Watson does in Sherlock's in the sequence after the opening credits. Foggy is jealous of Matt, but that's kind of like a compliment to him. Foggy bribes Brett, his childhood friend, who is now a police officer, with cigars for his mom in exchange for a case for Nelson Murdoch, the newly started firm. They look for a place, and while they're negotiating the rent for that office space, we get to know how Matt keeps it simple and charming with women, even with a real estate lady who is ready to settle at a lower price after quote-unquote the incident, which basically refers to the Chitauri attack in Marvel's Avengers, the movie, which destroyed large parts of New York, especially Hell's Kitchen, where Foggy scoffs at the rate that the lady shared and also at the fact that Matt always gets an edge by being blind with the ladies and how Matt and Foggy clearly have some professional disagreement on how they're going about their work. Matt wants to help the innocent. Foggy follows the principle, innocent until proven guilty, therefore a potential client who can pay. Now talking about such a client, we hit the first crisis point of this episode. The cigar bribing helped. Brett informs Foggy that there is a damsel in distress at the police station. The damsel in question, Kieran Page who was the only person in the scene when a colleague, Daniel Fisher, got killed in Kieran's apartment. She claims to have been framed, of course, but was she really? There are several instances of smart and dry humor till now in this episode and of measured confidence shown by Matt, where he upfront states that they have been in the job for seven hours, counting from the time they got their office, and the fact that Karen also doesn't have any money. So maybe both of them can help each other out. The one side, Matt and Forky do not have clients and Karen doesn't have money. As Karen starts talking, she claims to have no idea how things went wrong. And as Matt listens to her, the show gives us another glimpse at things from his perspective, this time focusing on his additional power and that is enhanced hearing. From the sound of Kieran's heartbeat, he knows she's telling the truth 
However, she isn't always so truthful. We'll get to know that soon. The next morning, Wesley, the right-hand man of the new mob boss, the Kingpin, meets with a man, Mr. Farnham, who is a police guard, makes him repay his debt, which he owed to the old mob boss, Rigoletto, via a special favor, which is killing Karen in her holding cell, which was eventually an unsuccessful attempt. This fits right well with what Matt was wondering and discussing with Foggy. Why the police haven't formally pressed charges, even though they have all the evidence to pin Karen with them? Karen must be privy to a lot more than what she has already shared, they concluded. Matt and Foggy arrive at the station and bargain for Karen's release in exchange of not pressing charges against the crooked prison guard. Matt tries piecing everything together, thinking that the guard was trying to stage Karen's death as suicide to seal her supposed guilt. Karen fills in one piece in the puzzle. At Union Allied Construction, the company responsible for most of the reconstruction in Hell's Kitchen, while working as a secretary to a Mr. McClintock, the company's chief accountant, Karen mistakenly received a file labeled Pension Master and understood that it is a massive ledger of huge illegal transactions moving in and out of the company. Worried about the file's meaning, Kiran goes to her boss, who laughs and dismisses the file. And as soon as she begins discussing about this entire fiasco with Mr. Fisher from the legal department over a drink, they blacked out and Harakiri ensued, leading to Danny Fisher's death and leading her to believe that whoever did not want the information getting out has ears everywhere, including the bar where they went. The next scene, with Karen moving over to Matt's apartment to stay safe, is another trend changer, I would say. We do not see any wooing the girl and charming her toward the bed scene. Rather, we get a relatable conversation about Matt's blindness, about how he got the apartment for a cheap price, and how he displayed both his human and superhuman skills to play. At first, he pointed out that Kiran was being framed in the beginning and then they attempted to kill her in the prison. Hence, she possibly has something that they wanted and that's why they did not kill her in the first place. The copy of the pension master file maybe. Kiran denies and the sensory instincts of Matt, or you can say the daredevil, kicks in and he understands from her heartbeat that she is lying. While she sneaks out to go to a home to retrieve the USB drive, she gets attacked by an assailant trying to kill her. Matt, or the man in the mask, that's how they referred to him in the pilot episode, is actually already there. A gritty scuffle ensues and just as Daredevil seems to be beaten down. Some flashbacks of his moments with his dad makes him pull himself up and win the fight. And then Daredevil drops the USB drive and the assailant to a newspaper office. Kieran's crisis is resolved for now. But there was another parallel plot of crisis running in this show or the first episode rather. And that was a crisis not for the heroes, but for the villains, the criminal elements of Hell's Kitchen. So much so 
that they had to assemble at a well at a rooftop on an unfinished skyscraper at Hell's Kitchen. Kind of symbolic of their unfinished businesses and issues. It starts simple enough as a gathering among the elderly Chinese drug lord Madame Gao, traffickers Anatoly and Vladimir, a Japanese guy Nobu, Leyland Owlsley and Wesley, who is standing in for the kingpin, whose name we do not know yet by the way, and apparently he should not be named while they are in a public place. They discuss the recent issues, namely the bungling of the Union Allied case and the masked vigilante at the docks who actually stopped the trafficking if, you, trafficking, if you remember from the beginning of the episode. But Owlsley feels that this is a welcome addition to the city. And this is the first time I have heard a villain saying that a superhero is a welcome addition. And the reason? Wait for it. Owlsley feels that a new hero means more death and destruction, which means more business opportunities. Since it was the Avengers antics that opened up Hell's Kitchen to Union Allied for reconstruction. Little did they know that Matt slash Daredevil was actually trying to fix that mess and to stop these criminals, starting with Union Allied and the trafficking side. And he was not going to cause more chaos. Or maybe that's what something will ensue in the following episodes. We'll see about that later. Wesley tries to uh, fix up the loose ends following getting exposed to media. If you remember, the assailant and the USB drive was dropped to a newspaper office. So Wesley actually got Mr. Farnham and that assailant whose name is Rance killed. And we finally get to hear from the Kingpin towards the end of the episode. His face isn't shown. That was just a phone call between Wesley and the Kingpin. But he seems very sharp, matured and organized. And he asked Wesley to keep a track of Nelson and Murdoch since they might be of use in future. This episode shares a lot, but leaves a lot of questions unanswered. Who trained Daredevil? Why did he start fighting criminal elements? Did any incident in his father's life have any connection with all of this? Who is this super villain Kingpin? What is his background? What are the other respective gang lords up to? Why did Nobu spread out the city plan, focusing on Hell's Kitchen? Are they planning something destructive? Why did the Russians kidnap a child right at the end of the episode? Daredevil, or rather the man in the mask, actually speeds up to support this kid who was being kidnapped after hearing the screams. But he is he actually being lured into a trap? All these keep us hooked and lead us into the ring of this episode and that is aptly the title of this pilot episode i really wish matt murdoch heard this episode because of course he can only focus on audio only mediums like a podcast he's blind and shared this with his defender buddies and trish from trish talks wondering what i'm talking about well defenders and trish are references from from related but different shows from Marvel, which we may discuss some other day. But for now, let us focus on the next episode. As mentioned earlier, we will talk about certain trivia about this show, its opening credits, and what makes this show a cut above other superhero shows and movies. And yes, trust me, a separate episode on this would be truly worth it. 
want to connect with us to know more about movies tv shows ad films or short films or any other kind of creative magic and reach out to us through other platforms do check out our podcast description for more details mm-hmm.